This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple. I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that want to get in this business, but to those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Now, on to our guest this week. This next individual has worked his way up from vice president of sales to president and CEO of a major league soccer team in less than 10 years. He has helped the team rebrand, build a new facility, and was part of a 125 straight game sellout. Our next guest is the president and CEO of Sporting Kansas City of the MLS, Jake Reed. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Great to be here. Jake, well, pleasure talking to you. You've had a great career, and I'm really looking forward to diving into it and having our listeners get a better understanding of how you've been successful and worked up the ranks. So let's start with your current role, and I'm going to ask the $100,000 question. What have you done on a consistent basis to work your way up to the role you're in now so quickly? Yeah, it's uh, like anything. I think there's a, a bunch of variables there, but uh, luck being uh, a big one of them. So I started inside sales. So I mean, for those listening at the bottom of the barrel, I, I was there. I mean, I literally you, you couldn't have paid me less. It was probably <laughs> some sort of illegal wage. If you look back now, I think I was probably making like six bucks an hour without commission. But you and know, that was I mean, probably I before you had to punch like the clock in. So it was like, here, we're going to pay you 40 hours. You're going to work 80. So your hourly yeah. wage was probably even less. 
No, exactly. Uh, my parents were really proud when I did four years of school and took a $14,000 job out of college. So, uh, But, you know, I, listen, hustle is – I love it too because that's kind of just what I did. I, I don't ever think I viewed myself as the smartest person in the room even to this day, but I, I'm a pretty simple-minded guy and just thought, hey, if I work harder than the people next to me, eventually good things will happen and I can control my work ethic and I can control – in this case, when I started, it was phone calls or – trying to get meetings and, you know, just doing more, which is a simple formula and maybe a dumb way to approach it. But I've kind of just tried to do that through my career. Um, and that really hasn't changed even to this day. I just, I try to, you know, control the controllables. My team will just, I, I batter them with cliches on a daily basis because that's kind of how I um, have lived my career in, in life. And so, yeah, when I got here in 2010 as vice president, um, it was really just putting those building blocks in place for success for the, the sales crew, which I was over then and then just kind of building from there. And I think you know, demonstrating success over a, a long period of time and demonstrating that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and work hard just uh, resonated well with the ownership group. And, uh, and here we are as president and CEO. So, um, you know, right place, right time, uh, you know, new stadium, new team, you know, folks leaving that were above me, all that certainly um, played in and, you know, just very thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, no, and, and congratulations on all your success. And you kind of mentioned, like, luck. Well, you've got to put yourself in a position to even get some lucky, you know, lucky moves. So huge kudos to that. And you mentioned you started back actually in May of 2010 with the then Kansas City Wizards as the VP of Sales. And then in November, so fast forward a couple months, uh, the organization rebranded to Sporting KC. And then a new stadium, the Children's Mercy Park, opened in 2011. So you'll talk about a first year and a crazy first year. How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was nuts. Um, yeah, I laugh looking back with our ownership because they, I think we had 2,000 season ticket holders at the time when I started, and they were like, we need 10 by the time we open. And I was I was like, you guys are crazy. I mean, that's a crazy number. And we were averaging fans. I think our, our average attendance was like 5,500. Um, and so we had this 18,000-plus seat venue that suddenly, you know, we're expected to, to fill. And, I, you know, listen, I felt good about a process, but at going to 2,000 to 10,000, I was like, I just don't think that can happen. So I kind of laid out a few years three-year vision around it. I felt we could get there. I just didn't think we could get there. And, you know, at that point was, was really like the 12 months that we had from the time I started. Uh, we opened in, in June of, of 11. So, um, you know, but we charted through, I think that first year we ended up with like 7,500. So good growth. And by year two, we, we got over 10. And then year three, we, uh, we've kind of been capped since then around uh, 14,000. So, you know, it, it was a, a crazy year, but it was, it was fun. I mean, those were some of the most fun times looking back where, um, you know, it was very startup-like. You're, you're rebranding. You've, you basically turned over the whole staff. You're, you're all in it together. There's this sense of camaraderie that you're, you're literally building something in the stadium, but you're also building the, the, the team, the franchise, kind of the building blocks for the staff. Um, and it was, it was a blast. I mean, it was one of those, like, you look back and you worked – your tail off and you work uh, really, really long hours, but it was, it was just so much fun uh, to be part of. And, and certainly a lot of pride for, for those of us who went through it. And uh, that first game was, was awesome uh, to see kind of come to life, but yeah, it was a, it was a hectic time for sure. Everything came to fruition. You kind of mentioned, you know, you're, you're expected to grow five X and then ultimately seven, 10 X. You know, what were some key learnings specifically on the sales side and maybe immersing yourself in the, in the community there to help gain you know, the amount of season ticket orders you ultimately ended up gaining. Yeah, I mean, I, I laugh when I look back because some of the, the conversations I have with our owners, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'd say that now. It's probably too blunt <laughs> and to the point. But, yeah, I think my philosophy on, on, you know, at least, you know, managing up has always been be honest and be transparent, right? You know, and I think 
I was. I just I, part of why I took the role was I looked at the staff and knew that they didn't have a good foundation in place. They just didn't have a process. They didn't really have um, you know kind of a sales leadership built out. Like I knew I could come in and, and help do, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean you know I, I kind of the MBA model I'd grown up in. I knew that this wasn't how they'd set up here. I was like, okay, we can we can do something. So um, yeah, I think coming in and, and you know being able to put that in place, and you know I, I remember we were mid season when I started in May, and I basically said we're not selling anything else for 2010. And they're like, excuse me. Like we have a lot. Of, I was like, if we want to fill the stadium, like we got to focus now and we got to go. And so with all respect, the, the 10,000 group tickets we might miss out on at, you know, 11 bucks a pop, that's not going to make a difference. So we basically with the line, we stopped um, focusing as a sales team on, on that current season, which may seem counterintuitive, but we really shifted all in on, um, on 2011 and, and that season. And so I, I think it just, you know, focus, I guess, to answer your question, you kind of knew what the goal was, you knew what the um, the target you had to go chase was. And if you didn't focus intently on that and not be distracted by kind of everything else going on, we knew we wouldn't get there. And so we kind of shifted focus, really built out the team. That was a key, um, you know, first step. We hired inside sales manager, hired um, a new sales manager, hired a bunch of new reps. We kind of completely turned the staff over and, uh, you know, we just kind of shifted into overdrive and away we went. Yeah. And you, Jake, you just kind of mentioned you, you went through a lot of the hiring process and getting the right people, but also to have key in sales and success is, is working with other departments and, and having those relationships. So what were some of those key learnings, you know, again, in your first year, you're, you're rebranding, you're building a new stadium, you're hiring a new staff, like, what were some of those key learnings you, as it related to some of the inner workings of an organization and the value of relationships with the other departments and the other verticals within the company? Yeah, I mean, it's completely critical, right? I, I had a, an, an, a built-in advantage in that our CMO started the same day I did. So as they were kind of building out their new leadership team, he and I started the same day. So that was immensely helpful because there was no preconceived you know, notion of, of his role and he hadn't been here a long time and, you know, who's, who's this new sales guy trying to come in. And so that was helpful because him and I kind of hit it off right away and knew like, okay, like it's going to be at the end of the day, if we don't hit this, like the finger probably is first going to be at me, me, then probably secondly you. So let's, right. let's figure it out. And uh, so that, that was awesome. And then, you know, I always just, and it's, you know, we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, but yeah, I, I just think treat people with respect, treat people with, um, you know, assume that, you know, everyone is going to help you at some point in time. I, I think, you know, I always try to tell our staff, don't feel like you got to win battles, right? We're all trying to fight the same big picture right. battles, but to win kind of those day-to-days and those little meetings where you can walk out and feel like, hey, I, I got the better of them. Like that doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. It might, it might help your ego right. at the time feel good about it. Um, but that person's not going to help you down the road. So I went out of my way to, to have coffee or lunch or a beer with every um, vice president, director, and manager in the entire company in the first 30 days. Just, hey, here's who I am. I want to help. I need your help. What, what can you tell me? How do we work together? And so I tried to kind of go in there without, um, you know, any preconceived notion and just really arms open saying, like, I need help. Yeah, and what can I do? What should I be thinking about? You know, tell me more about what you do. And I think what that does is it immediately it disarms people because they also feel like, okay, this person's here to actually they're on board. They want to help. They're actually coming to me for help. I've been here a long time. I need to feel like I'm respected in some way. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of came in and say, Hey, I don't know what I don't know. You've been here a long time. Like, let's, let's figure this out. Help me shortcut the process that I'm trying to go navigate. Um, and then it, it goes the other way too, right? When those people need help, make sure you help them, make sure that, you know, if they've got a need for a game or something comes up and you can help with your world, go out of your way to do it. And those are usually small favors, but they really go a long way in the big picture. 
they go a long way to your point it shows your vulnerability you know and that's okay and it, it is truly that that one dream one team one goal mentality and so you know breaking down the barriers so i think for any of the leaders listening i think that's great advice like make sure you go out of your way don't just talk to your own team members which is certainly vitally important but talk to everybody else in the organization because that's going to help your help your day-to-day and, and ultimately your career a lot yeah. better um, yeah, vulnerability is a good word. I mean, I, and I would say take a humble approach, right? I think everyone has an ego. I know we all like to say, hey, I, I, I don't have an ego. And, and so we all do. Just acknowledge that if you can get out of your own way and you just want to do great and understand that if, if we all win, you'll probably get the credit. It doesn't matter if, if people give you credit along the way. Um, that's just kind of always been my approach is like, hey, as long as we get where we need to get, I assume that people that care will acknowledge that we did a good job, right? Exactly. And that's what that's what matters. And so, Jake, I'm going to hop around a bit now. As, as prior you, to you moving to Kansas City, you took a role as the ticket sales manager at the Derby County Football Club in, in Derby, the United Kingdom. Um, so I think most listeners would think right away, wow, he must be a diehard soccer individual. But that's not the case, correct? No, not at all. That was my uh, my first endeavor in soccer. So, and, and um, so yeah. So I think that the easiest question is, you know, what ultimately made you make that move to the UK? Yeah, it's helpful to give a little context prior to that. So I was I was in the NBA for around four years at two different franchises. Had kind of worked my way up into the, the sales team, and and prior to that move, I was in Charlotte with the then Bobcats um, as inside sales manager, and and loved it. I mean, it was a Amazing role, loved the city, um, uh, had an amazing vice president, Mike Toman, who um, to this day is one of my biggest mentors. And I was, I was in a great position. I didn't need to go anywhere. Um, and, you know, I'd worked with a couple of folks and Tom Glick had gone over there. Tom is the president of the Carolina Panthers now. Tom was our president um, in Derby. And then, uh, you know, Tim Hinchy, who was our CMO in Charlotte, had gone over as kind of the head of commercial. So I, there's two folks that I, I knew who recruited me. Um, and it was really just about the opportunity. It was the ability to go from running inside sales to running the entire sales department and really starting from scratch. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny looking back. I, I really struggled with what to do there because um, I was in such a good position. But I just felt like that role kind of skipped four layers for me and kind of went straight to, although I wasn't a VP by title uh, there, I was certainly the head of the ticketing department. So yeah, it just came down to career growth. What I felt was a, an opportunity for me uh, professionally to, to grow really quickly. And I knew that it was either going to be really great and I'd get a lot of credit for all the good things we did, or it'd be really badly received and I'd get the credit for that as well. Fortunately, the the first part happened, but yeah, it was, it was nothing to do with soccer. I didn't know anything about soccer. I mean, I, I say this all the time. So I guess if you're going to learn it, England is also not the worst place in the world. It's not, to do it's that. not a bad place. And I think, that, <laughs> you know, that really goes to some other advice of listeners that maybe are thinking about getting this business. You don't always have to work for your favorite team or even know anything about the sport. As long as you have a passion for the craft and the business, like that's, what's going to make you successful. And then the sport will come. You can learn that. For sure. I mean, I, I, it's a great analogy. I use it, you know, it's like a, it's like a new seating manifest, right? If you're selling, you can, it's just the product knowledge. You got to learn the product. You got to learn what's out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I look back and that was probably viewed as a, a risky move and rightfully so, but I, I just viewed it as opportunity. And I, I wanted to follow the opportunity and, and, you know, I had a, you know, again, a bunch of people tell me if you're going to make a move, make it an upward move, never a lateral move. And I felt like this was an upward move that skipped a couple rungs on the ladder. And that was really the, the driving factor behind the decision. So working in the, the UK there, what are some of the similarities and then ultimately some differences that are on the business side that, you know, from, from here to the United States? And, and now you've been, you kind of sandwiched them, right? You're in the States, over the UK, and now back. 
Yeah, a bunch on both sides. So one, it was it was amazing, amazing group, amazing club. Um, they they've been stuck in the championship since I. So the first year I got there, they were coming out of the Premier League. They had 11 points the entire Premier League season, which if anyone follows Premier League is is still the worst record in the history of the Premier so League. That's not good. So we came in on the sales team, not with a great uh, wave on the team and momentum, but um, it, it's a great club, great history. They were celebrating their 125th anniversary when, when I got there. And so that, that's the first thing. I mean, the history of sport there is just, it's crazy to think about, right? Um, how long they've been around. And so they had no sales structure, no service structure. I mean, they're, they're all kidding aside, they're on sale as a billboard that said, like, call here for tickets or renewal or a mailer that basically said, Travis, you've got a week. Check this box if you want in. Check this box if you want. I mean, that was it. Um, well, you'd had folks who had had tickets for, like, 70 years in their family. Um, and so, you know, we started reaching out to them. And, I mean, people were just blown away. I mean, hey, we've had tickets for 70 years. No one's ever talked to us from the club. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. I'd, I'd say we put the bones of a of U.S. structure in place in terms of kind of sales and service and how we went to market. Um, but there's a ton of nuances. I mean, the supporter culture there is is immensely different in Europe than anything you see here. I mean, MLS has an amazing supporter culture, but it's it's just on steroids over there. I kind of describe it as like you know college football fandom meets you know soccer meets NFL all kind of wedged together. And so. Together. You know, and it's so close in proximity. That's the other thing folks don't understand, right? I mean, if you think of the island of the UK, I mean, it's the size of a state, and you've got hundreds of teams there. So imagine if our rival in Kansas City was a suburb of Overland Park, which is 20 minutes away. I mean, that was how it was in Derby. Nottingham Forest was 20 minutes away on a bus. So when the teams visited, you had 5,000 away fans that came. So, you know, we had to adjust a little bit because you can't sell how you kind of normally sell. But, yeah, I think once you figure out the nuance of the sport and the, the team and kind of the culture – um, everything else we kind of put in place. We did groups. We did, you know, kind of a new renewal campaign. We did new season ticket sales. You know, we kind of put all that in place, and it, it really went well. And we were really the first club to try that. And you've seen other clubs kind of jump on board now. But um, yeah, it was a it was a crazy learning uh, experience, but a lot of fun. You know, and you talk about the fun, the experience. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the the opportunity to go to a soccer match in AC Milan in in Italy, and it was. One of the most amazing experiences, I've been very fortunate to go to a lot of sporting events, and that one was, to your point of the supporters, you know, cheering right from the get-go, you're getting in your seats, and, you know, it was, a, it was an hour before the match, and they were starting, and, and so something I certainly was never a part of. So why, as you ultimately came back to, to Sporting KC, why was it so important for you to bring that back, like that supporters mentality, you know, and implement it there at Sporting KC? Yeah, it's just so different. I mean, you've, you've witnessed it, so you can understand it. If you haven't, it's, it's really hard to describe because I think us in North American sports have a very definitive view of what that is. And I'm not taken away from anything else. I mean, listen, an experience at an NFL game or a college football game or an NBA game are all great in one regard. It's just very different. And so, um, you know, to see that and think, hey, we can have – this is it's different. For us in soccer, it's a differentiator, right? You've got a group that's banging drums, that's leading chants, that's kind of driving the energy for the whole stadium. Um, no matter what, I mean, we've had games where our team's down 3 nothing, and our fans are still acting like we're winning 10 nothing. I mean, it's crazy. So um, it's fun. Uh, I thought, hey, this – one, we had a great group here already, and so we just really empowered them to do more and, and supported them. Uh, but it's it's totally different. And for us, we knew with a new venue, if we were trying to sell soccer, we were going to fail miserably because, frankly, we're realistic with where we are as a sport, right? We're not in NFL. We're not, you know, to where baseball was, the NBA. So we need an experience. And so we wanted to sell an experience, and that is part of the experience. If you can come out there and watch that group go crazy, um, that's what first-timers always 
just tell us, wow, like what is that? What is that group doing over there? Like, why do those five guys have their shirts off, banging drum the whole match? And why are they screaming and cheering when we're losing? And, and so it's just a, uh, it's awesome. It feeds the energy of the stadium, and I think it's really what's helped build kind of the, the culture of soccer in North America. Yeah, you know, and Jake, something you know, as as I was preparing for this podcast today, you know, reaching out to some people that have worked with you or alongside you, they always said like he was one that's always willing to like roll up his sleeves, um, and that's what we always appreciate. No matter what title he was, he'd go out and tag seats. Didn't matter. And so you know, now Sporting KC is one of the one of MLS's strongest community brands, and you're still a big part of that supporters group, the main one, the Cauldron, like. In the role you're in now, why is it still so important for you to be so close to that group and, and kind of hands-on uh, within that supporter area? Yeah, um, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, I, I just I love doing it. I want to be engaged. I want them to feel like they've got um, a direct line with someone at the club who can immediately help enact change if there is a reason for that. Or, frankly, I can tell them, hey, we're not doing that, and here's here's why, right? And so – um, I think it's important. I think, you know, that relationship is arguably one of the most important for us as a club. Uh, and that's hard to understand for some folks. I mean, they have the cheapest tickets. They've got, um, you know, a section that's bleachers and general admission. And so you'd think, why don't, why don't I spend more time with sweet holders and everyone else, which I do, by the way, yeah, for right. quite a bit. But, yeah, I think that, that group drives the energy of the stadium. Without them, um, it's, it's not the experience that we've got. And so, yeah, I just I take that very personally, and I want to ensure that you know I I'm not playing the telephone game with four different people of who said what and what's actually happening. And so I, I try to have a direct line with them. I have beers with with them, you know, a couple times a year just to see what's going on. And, and to me, that's you know I think if you identify what's really important and what drives the stadium experience, then why wouldn't you spend time on it? It's just kind of what my mentality has been. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Jake Reed, President and CEO of Sporting KC. So, Jake, you're at Sporting KC for two years. Then you get promoted to the Chief Revenue Officer role. So how is that transition to oversee all revenue? You know, at that point in time, up until then, we'll get into some of your other career paths. It was really only ticketing and premium. Yep. Yeah, there's a good story behind this one. So um, 
you know, I had we'd had a lot of success on the sales side, and uh, we weren't there yet, but we had a you know good building block of kind of the first couple of years, and uh, our EVP of revenue had left, and so we'd launched the a job search for that replacement. So truth be told, I didn't even apply internally. I just was kind of in my own sales world. I exactly what you just mentioned, Travis. I don't have the experience. I've never done sponsorship. I'm kind of I got more to do on the sales side. I, I just I want to keep building, right? And so. Um, they did the search. I remember vividly the owners came to me after a couple of months and said, hey, we, we want to meet with you and talk to you about this. We're just, we're not sure where we're at. And I said, okay, great. So I had a meeting and they said, we want you to be CRO. And I was like, hey, I, I flattered. I really appreciate that. I just, I don't think I'm ready. Here's why. So I'm literally like selling against myself. As for you say, yeah. Cool. And they, uh, our majority owner said, hey, that's great. We don't care. You're going to do it. We've seen what you've done. So you Here's can figure the deal. it out. And I was like, Okay. Um, I remember going home and sitting down for dinner with my wife, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm CRO now." Um, you know, it, it, it was a, it was scary. I mean, it was daunting to to some extent, and there was a lot of pressure associated. We didn't have um, a jersey sponsor. We'd never had one. That's the biggest uh, asset from a partnership side um, in our sport. We'd had a lot of turnover, um, and we just our team was not really strong on the partnership side. No surprise. That's why they were looking for someone to. To take over. So, I mean, I remember like that next two weeks, I was calling like everyone I knew in the industry, like in sponsorship, like, what do I need to know? What's going on? And um, yeah, so it was a, it was a crazy time. But I think when you look back on the learnings, it's, it's not as scary as you think when you're in the middle of it, right? If you've got a good process, you believe in kind of your way of, of how you've done things, which to me was like, learn from others, you know, have a good team, you know, make sure that you are confident in the right process. And when you screw things up, don't be afraid to admit, hey, that I do that up and we're not doing that again. Here's what we're doing. And, and so kind of applied all of that and, uh, you know, knock on wood, it, it so far so good. It worked out, right? It worked yeah. out. So, you know, during that time, the team goes on to win the 2013 MLS Cup on a, on a penalty kick out, a penalty kick shootout at home there. You know, how exciting was that for you, the organization, the city? I mean, not many people get the chance to, to win a championship. No, it was crazy. And, and, and again, to give context of like my career, I've worked for t- bad teams. I mean, bad on, on field, on court teams, right? Um, yeah, I was in New Orleans slash OKC. Total blast, but the team was not good. No playoff appearances. Charlotte, same thing. A couple years there. Uh, great front office. Just team was not good. Um, then you went to England. Same thing I referenced. They came down. We were terrible for – so I'm the sports guy that was like, well, I just I'm gonna work for terrible teams, and that's fine. Like I love what I do, but like this whole playoff thing, like I don't really know what yeah, this means. You're never so, gonna be able to celebrate. So we had some success early on, and uh, we opened the stadium. And, uh, we missed it in 10 when I came. We made the playoffs in 11 and 12, and lost in the conference finals both years. And then 13, we kind of broke through and, and got there. And so um, I, I say all that because I was like, whoa, like I can't believe this is actually happening. Like I'm working for a club that actually might win something here. And uh, it, it was incredible. I mean, uh, for those who follow a team in, in soccer, penalty shootouts are the most nerve-wracking thing of all. I mean, you almost can't watch. I mean, it, it, it yeah. is just unbearably uh, awful. And uh, it was a freezing cold night. I mean, I think it's the coldest uh, MLS Cup match to date. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing. I mean, it was such uh, just a celebration and relief from the owners to the to the club to – you know, it felt like one of those just crowning moments of everything you've worked so hard for that just kind of came together. And for those of us who work in the industry um, on the business side, know, you know, we can't really control that aspect. You can to some extent from the stadium and energy and crowd, but ultimately, um, you know, the on-field stuff is largely, uh, I'm not down there motivating the players or, or picking the roster. And so 
Um, it was amazing to, to this day, you know, obviously without uh, an obvious statement, but one of the, the most memorable things I've ever been uh, a part of. Now, you know, throughout that process, you guys were obviously able to take full advantage of that as well, you know, specifically on the revenue side with sales, with ticketing, premium hospitality, sponsorship, like, but that doesn't always just, you win a championship and the phone start making the rings. Like, what was some of your proactive approach and how did you, you and your team plan for that success, whether you guys would have lost in that championship or you ultimately won it, how did you leverage it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the phone just ring, Travis. That's how you sell stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, That's what everybody yeah. thinks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we, we were ready, right? We were ready in, in 2011 when we opened the venue. When we made the playoffs, we were leveraging it then. We were leveraging it in, in 12, and we've leveraged it every year, right? The, the key, I always say, is, you know, it's our job on the business side to be prepared to take advantage of success or be prepared to mitigate um, the opposite when the team is not doing well, right? You don't want to, you know, in sports, you, you don't want to kind of be doing this. You kind of want to be just kind of steadily growing. Um, and so, you know, putting ourselves in a position to, you know, sell tickets during the playoff run, to leverage the fact that if you want playoff tickets, here's how you got to get involved. And, you know, all, all the things that we don't need to go through that are probably, common practice, but it's important. It's important to prepare at the beginning of the year for that so that you're not reacting to it as you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to make the playoffs. Like, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? And so it it all ties in, right? Like, when do you launch renewals every year? When are you going on sale with new tickets? How are you selling the new tickets? How are you leveraging the playoffs? What happens if you do make it to the championship? How do you leverage that? And then, you know, so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, I think our team did an amazing job of, of taking advantage of that. Um, you know, but also taking advantage is an interesting way to describe it because you don't want to totally take advantage of your fan base either, right? I, I think there's a fine line between leveraging it and kind of gouging it. And in our sport particularly, we had to make sure that we were, um, you know, taking advantage as a club, but also, you know, being mindful that we've had folks on board for a long time that have not seen success here. And so, um, you know, I think we did a good job of, of walking that line, although some folks would probably disagree. But, you know, the key is is be prepared for it to happen. If you have to shelve that business plan because the team doesn't play well, that's to me, that's a couple you know, weeks of hard work well spent that you can dust off and use again for next year. Down the road, yep. So after spending about five and a half years on the revenue side, you're promoted to president of the club and then ultimately the president and CEO. So so give our listeners, what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, you want the pre-COVID or post-COVID uh, <laughs> world? Yeah, um, you know, I always – I try to tell folks, you know, I, I view my role as, you know, the ultimate um, – you know, the assist man, right? So I try to um, balance my time among, you know, our, our revenue group, our, our kind of stadium, our, our operations team, um, you know, in all aspects. But, you know, I'm also, I know I've only got so much time. So what I try to do is, is plug in, you know, probably more in, in key time. So for instance, if we've got some big renewals, if we've got a big asset that's up for sale, and I know that our team, you know, when you're sitting across the other CEO that you're trying to sell, having your CEO there is, is really important. And I remember that from when I was selling, right? Like yep. you, you need that there. Um, so I try to be super available for, for, for that team as, as a resource. I try to um, plug in, you know, super heavy in our ticketing side when we're in key points like renewals and, and being part of that process. And our guys probably love the fact that their CEO has a ticketing background because I probably am, you know, way more involved than they would like me to be in that area. <laughs> That's because it's my, 
you know, role. Um, and then I'm, you know, listen, a lot of time is dedicated on the main point of contact for MLS, um, particularly right now and main point of contact for all the government and health protocols that we're doing. So working with the state, working with the city, working with uh, MLS on kind of getting games back. Um, and then, you know, our structure here is uh, basically our, our coach is also our GM. So he and I are, are peers within the organization. And so, you know, him and I are, are you know, synced at the hip in terms of kind of what's happening on the team and the business and how does that impact one or the other. And, and so, you know, it's it's you're kind of doing what helps the organization most, which maybe sounds like an easy way out of the answer. But that's truly how I view it is, is what can provide the most value to the club that day. And, and what do I need to do that, that helps us do that? And that's kind of where I try to spend a lot of my time. Um, you know, the, the key for me has always been, whether it's inside sales or now, like hire great people that are way smarter than you, that are experts in their area and let them go do what they do. And so we've got an amazing leadership team that, um, you know, I try to empower and just plug in when I need to and not micromanage. And so I think that kind of lets all of us, you know, do what we do really, really well. Yeah. And, and Jake, that was going to be my next question is you, obviously you talk about providing value in, in every area. And so you guys are, are going into the franchise's 25th season. You've transitioned now into this president CEO role. You earlier in the podcast, you talked about, Hey, moving into sponsorship, it's, it's really as long as you have the blueprint to sell, but now you're overseeing verticals, human resources, finance, marketing. You know, how has that transition been? And you, you kind of hit on some advice, hire the right people. But, but what would your advice be in regards to just making sure you're, you're able to oversee all different multiple verticals that you maybe never have you know, been a part of? Yeah, it, listen, it, it's it's funny, right? I think when you're not um, the person at the top of the, the mountain, you think the person at the top has always known all this stuff, right? Like they just thought they're the CEO. They know everything about everything, and they've always kind of known that. That's a naive stance. So, you know, when I – listen, my strengths are, you know, I am uh, grew up in the sales world, as we've talked about. Uh, I think I'm a great relationship person. I've always been obsessed with hiring. Um, but my weaknesses, you know, from a financial standpoint and kind of the operations side, it's just not something I spent a lot of time doing. And frankly, you know, I didn't really love doing it, right? Hence why I was on the sales yeah. side. Uh, right. So the key is the key is dive in, right? If, if, you are, if you have the self-awareness to understand where your gaps are and where your blind spots are, then go figure them out and, and go, you know, learn as much as you can. Talk to the, the folks that are within your organization. Talk to folks that are not in your organization and, and get up to speed. And so that's, that's what I tried to do um, initially. And then you've got to, it's, it's no different than anything else in life. If you want to get better at something, you got to spend time on it. It's like, it's no different than practicing for a sport. You don't just show up on game day and expect to be Steph Curry. You got to shoot a lot of threes to practice to get really, really good. And so in my case, it was taking a deep dive into the financial side, making sure I understand everything from, you know, how a game day operates financially to what our owners expect from the reporting to what the league expects from the reporting and everything in between. Um, and same with the operations side. Again, I don't need to be the guy that's out there fixing the HVAC at the stadium, but I need to know what needs to happen if the HVAC breaks and how do we go. Get it done. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think, Diving in, um, and then more importantly, making sure you've got the right people in place is really the key. Because I know enough to be dangerous now, but I'm not a CFO, so I need to make sure our CFO knows what they're doing. And I can't tell if they know what they're doing if I'm not in the weeds enough to kind of get a good read on that. So, you know, again, it goes back to to me like just take the time to learn, take the time to practice it, get up to speed, and then you know make sure you've got the right people in the right place because ultimately you need them to be the expert around kind of that that area that you may not be. Um, as in the weeds on. 
you know, that's a perfect transition, the right people in the right place. And so, you know, throughout your career, you've hired a lot of people, a lot of great people that are industry leaders, you know, with Sporting KC and on multiple other areas of the business. And so what are some of the key characteristics, regardless of the role that you're hiring for, that have just stood out for the most successful people? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first uh, complete ripping this off from other folks, so this is not original thought, but like anything in life, if it, if it works well, um, I just kind of steal it and, and adapt it as my own. So uh, I know you had Corey Breton on the podcast. Corey, probably a very similar answer to, to me as the same Mike Toman um, hierarchy. <laughs> Um, listen, I believe I tell this to everyone. This does this, this isn't a sports thing to me. Like if you can find you know these characteristics and folks, um, you know nine times out of ten they're going to work out really well. And, and so you know trying to find passion is one. It's a tough gig that we do in, in sports. And if you don't have true passion around it, you get burnout. I mean, it, it's so you've got to really love it for the right reasons. The right reason is not. It's my favorite team, and I, I love baseball. That's not a good reason. Um, that's a good reason to watch it on, you know, your couch. Not a good reason. Become to a season ticket holder. Correct. Um, so, you know, passion for what we do. Huge believer in having a positive attitude. I, I think you've got to have kind of that half glass full approach to life. No better example of that than the, where we are in 2020 um, right now. And so I always try to find those folks that can have a positive outlook and channel that energy because it's contagious and it's contagious the other way. If you're negative, that's really contagious too. So we want that positive um, outlook. I want natural leaders. I want folks that have demonstrated some sort of leadership in their past. That could be, you know, president of, of some organization they were part of in school. That could be captain on a sports team. It could be a number of different things that just show like, Hey, this person gravitates to be a leader. Um, of some sort, um, you know, open the learning. I talked about that as to what helped me. I think if you go into anything and feel, feel like you've got it figured out or, Hey, just because I'm VP, you should listen to me because I'm VP. Like that's, that's not a good, it's not a good answer. And you're not going to get people to get on board with you there. So you got to be open to learning and you got to say, Hey, I don't know this. Help me figure this out. Or how do you view this? And I think kind of adding that to your arsenal is really important as you go through anything in life and then work ethic. I mean, to your perfect tie into to hustle, it's, to me, if you just work hard, good things always happen. It might take longer than you'd like, but the harder you work, the better things work out, and I've never seen an example where that hasn't been the case. So you look at that, and then I'd plug in integrity as a really key piece of that. You know, I want high integrity. I want people to have um, you know, kind of a, a good moral compass as we go through this thing together because you spend a lot of time with these people. And, and so those are, to me, kind of what we try to distill out of the, the hiring process. And you're certainly a prime example of all those characteristics. Again, kudos to all your success. And and so, Jake, you know, going back a little bit now, you grow up in Warren, Ohio, attend Grove City College, get a degree in marketing. What was the job you did growing up that's just most memorable to you? Yeah, for good and bad reasons. I worked at a golf course, um, you know, basically my last two years of, uh, of the summer in, in high school, and I came back in college and did that for a couple more years. So, you know, basically on the grounds crew, which imagine when you're 16 to, you know, 20, waking up and being there at, you know, five in the morning is, is not something that's enjoyable uh, at those stages in life. Probably not enjoyable now, for that matter. But um, certainly not but, then. Yeah, for, for a couple of reasons. One, it was like it was just like a, it was a true like team. I mean, everyone was like different walks of life, but we were all in it together. It was a blast. Um, you know, you're getting there early. Everyone's miserable. I mean, people are like sleeping in the parking lot from the night before getting up to like go mow greens and fairways. And so, you know, it taught hard work. Not that I didn't have that, but it really showed me like, OK, like there's hard work that I thought it was. Then there's like this and that's as much mental hard work as ever like you got to get up and get there and if you don't you've let down 
because it's all it's all tied. Like if you've got the hierarchy of like mowing fairways, mowing greens, getting things ready. If one of those pieces plugs out, somebody else has to plug in, which means something else is getting missed. So um, I did that early on. I missed uh, a morning. I slept in, and it was like the worst. I remember vividly, like showing up. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I just feel everyone looking at me, like you you screwed this up, and we had to you know cover for you. You let the whole so, thing down. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I never wanted to experience again. So, um, you know, just it's the old, like, if you commit to something, make sure you commit to it and, and actually do it. And so um, that was great. And it was, it was a lot of fun in between, but really, you know, taught me the importance of, of showing up, being part of a team, being committed and doing things that aren't fun. It's not fun waking up at 4.30 in the morning at 17 years old, going in the dark to, to mow grass. It's not the most enjoyable thing you've ever done, but um, you know, I think it's, again, if you buy into it, um, you make the best of it. And it was, it helped me a lot as I went through life. So coming out of Grove City College and, and degree in marketing, you know, what made you want to get into the business you're in now? What made you want to get into the sports industry? Yeah, I mean, I just, all the wrong reasons, right? I loved sports. I played sports. I thought, hey, if I'm not going to be a professional athlete, which I was definitely not going to be, um, what better way than to work in it? So I'm probably the example of like, yeah, I got in it for the wrong reasons and then fell in love with it for the right reasons after the fact. Um, but I, I just, you know, I felt that was what my passion was. I, I always had loved sports, playing, watching, participating, um, all that. And so, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And truth be told, I didn't I didn't want anything to do with sales is the, the funniest part of it because, you know, you have this perception of sales in your mind, which is this person trying to coerce you and, and sell you on something and, and be dishonest with you and all these things that you have some negative perception of. And then I learned quickly it was not that at all. It was about relationships and, and kind of matchmaking and, and finding what, you know, you want that works well with what we have and how do I, you know, kind of connect those dots and then building relationships that um, – you know, frankly, last uh, can last a lifetime. I talked to a ton of my season ticket holders still from uh, from early on. So, fell in love with it. Love the, uh, the the business side of it, and and you know, kind of ties back to your your England point, right? I, I've always loved the business side of it. I could be selling for soccer, for cricket, for lacrosse, for whatever. I, I love the business aspect of it, and that's kind of what drives me every day. So that's great. And Jake, we talked about, you know, your first year on the job in Sporting KC and, you know, brand and, and new new job, obviously, new stadium. Well, your first job out of college, you moved to New Orleans to work in sales with the Hornets. Hurricane Katrina hit and sends you to Oklahoma City for a while. So, like, talk a little bit about that experience, you know, crazy first job right out of college and you're already moving to a couple different places. Yeah, it was, man, crazy, right? So um, I think I'd been there for – it was only a couple of months. It wasn't a long time. And then uh, Katrina hit and it was nuts. We didn't know what we were doing. So we went to Orlando and like the whole sales team went to the magic basically said, Hey, like, I mean, we were basically homeless, right? Cause we, you, you leave the city. If you remember, you couldn't even go back in. It was kind of like a just third world country that it was crazy. Um, and so we went down to Florida just to help themselves for a little bit until frankly, we figured out where the team was going to go. They announced the, uh, the Oklahoma city move. So we, packed up, drove to OKC, um, and it was it was crazy. I, mean, I think we had 45 days from the first day we got there till the home opener, and I think the NBA typically requires 18 months from a kind of a new franchise. So launch, yeah. you do the math. That's a lot of hours granted <laughs> in 45 days. And I always tell folks the best – I mean, I was, I was a young, single sales guy living with three buddies. All you want to do is kind of go out and have a good time. We didn't go out once in that 45 days because you're working from basically – you know, six thirty, seven in the morning until one, two at, at night. You go home, you pass out, you wake up, and you just do it. You, you, you don't have time. Again. 
Um, now, that said, it was an incredible learning experience because you have to do everything, right? You're on the phone. You're helping the marketing team, you know, get the flyers stuff to, to mail out. You're helping the ops guys get the stadium ready. I mean, you're literally exposed to everything because everyone has to help get this thing ready. And so it was great for me. Um, I met a ton of people on the team I, I probably wouldn't have engaged with as an inside sales rep and, uh, you know, learned a ton in, in 45 days that certainly – in my opinion, helped accelerate my my career pretty substantially. As you say, what a what a learning experience. And you know, so there are some employees that transitioned originally from Charlotte to New Orleans when the team was sold, and you kind of took the other path. Went went back after that to the Charlotte Bobcats when they had an organization move back to town. You know, you previously mentioned as the inside sales manager. So, how was your experience? You know, looking back to your time in Charlotte as a first time manager, and then how has your leadership evolved over the years? Yeah. Um, ever thankful for that opportunity because I, again, probably was not ready to, to dive in there. And, and the, the hardest thing for me initially, which I think most managers struggle with is you, when you, when you go from controlling your own destiny as a salesperson to then having to manage in my case, 12 other people, it's super frustrating to understand why they don't get it like you do, right? You but just do this. It works. Just do it this way. Right. And so um, yeah, I banged my head against the wall for, you know, probably a, a, a good month or two before I realized like, okay, this is just, it's not going to work just because I think this is how you should do it. And it works for me. doesn't mean it works for anyone else on this sales team. And so I can either figure this thing out or I can just bang my head against the wall and this is going to fail miserably. And, you know, quickly, you know, you learn to, to manage, um, you know, message to the group. So you're consistent, but then manage to the individual and make sure that they understand, what motivates them. So Travis is going to be very, you know, different than Jake and, and, you know, they, they are, um, have different goals. They've got different motivations. Uh, you push different buttons that, that do different things. And so that was, that was a huge, uh, opening moment of like, okay, I, there's, these are all human beings that are very, very different. And that's good if you understand how to kind of get the best out of everybody. Um, and so, early learning there. And then, yeah, I think it's like anything else. As you continue to grow through any organization, you, you, you adjust your style, you adjust how you do things, you, you know, adjust how you interact with others. And, you know, to me, I've always, I've tried to be a sponge at all times, including now, even when I'm the president and CEO, right? I, I try to never have the definitive idea of this is what we're going to do. I try to make sure that we get good input from everybody involved. Um, and that was always my take, trying to just ask them. The, I'm the annoying person that asks a million questions because I want to know how you do it, why this worked, why it didn't work, what's a different way to look at it, am I looking at it the right way, you know, all those different things. And so I've just tried to apply that throughout my entire career. And, um, you know, you learn from a bunch of people that have been there and done it, and that all, you know helps shape who you are and, and hopefully makes you better as you go through it. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, throughout this podcast, you've kind of hit on that a couple of times, right? Hard work and effort, good things are going to happen and be open to learning. You know, you're, you're going to be successful. So, you know, Jake, you've had a great career. You're even honored as a sports business journal, 40 under 40. And also you're a family man. So how do you find time to dedicate to your wife and, and two boys? Like, what is that if there is anything of a work-life balance? Yeah, it's, uh, again, good learning process, right? But, um, I always talk on one, it's, you know, I, I don't like the word balance because that to me implies it's kind of equal share time, right? And that, that is just, it's not possible. I mean, to, you know how much we work in this industry. And so to think that if I'm, if I'm spending, you know, like today to game day, I'm going to be at the stadium until 11 o'clock tonight. I got in the office around, you know, nine this morning. I, I'm not going to be able to like spend that equal time when I go home with, with my family. So to me, the key is like, do you maximize the moments you have and do you prioritize certain things? And so I can, again, I can tell you what works 
for me. Um, you know, I, I am generally an early riser and, and work out and get in the office before my family's awake. So I'm kind of out the door and ready to go. But then I try to prioritize, you know, last night's a perfect example. We've got uh, second grade soccer practice, which is a sight to see in its own right. Um, you know, so I, I get home at, you know, six for soccer practice. I'm there for that. And then I'm there for dinner. And so, you know, to me, that, that kind of two hour window um, of quality time is really, really important. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm there, I'm present, I'm connected, I'm not, you know, distracted by what's happening um, at work. And then after bedtime, if you need to plug back in, you can plug back in. But, you know, I, I think what I have really tried to do, and, and by the way, work in progress still, and I'm not great at this, as my wife would tell you, but you know, just, just be present in the moment that you're in, right? If I'm on this podcast, I'm focused on talking to you, and I want to make sure that I um, you know, give it my all. And then after this, whatever is next on my schedule, I'm going to be very focused on that. And it's, to me, it's no different than, than when you're home. If you've got, you're out on a date night or you're spending time with your kids, you know, make sure you're there, make sure you're engaged, make sure you're, you're present because I think that is really the key. Um, and then just, you know, to me, I've been blessed with an amazing wife who understands what we're in and we've got good communication lines of, of kind of what's happening and expectations and what that looks like. And so, Again, you got to work at it. I don't think I have a blueprint that like apply this and it always works. Uh, every week is different, every day is different, but just you know, kind of making sure that you're you're giving it your all has, has been you know to me what's what I have found as as kind of the right um, structure that works. No, absolutely. Well, well, Jake, and I certainly appreciate you taking the time, and you know, this has been great. It's very cool to hear from someone that has the leadership experience both overseas and here domestically, as as well as working your way up the corporate ladder. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Ready. So, so randomly, as I was doing my research for this, I saw that you have collapsed your right lung twice. Do you care yeah. to care to share? Yeah, you, you got a good research team there. So. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the first time I was, uh, it was our our last regular season game in uh, my senior year of, of basketball in high school, and uh, it, uh, we were tied for uh, the same record. So the winner won the conference. We won in overtime. It was a tough game. Uh, the next day I was just a little sore, but I just kind of was like, hey, it was a it was a physical game, right? And then so whatever, caught a couple elbows to the chest, all good. The next day I just was like, something is off. Like it doesn't feel like a normal like bruise. And so um, went to the doctor, got an X-ray, lung was half collapsed. Um, and it, but I, I, again, it just it kind of felt like you took a couple hard elbows. It didn't. I wasn't struggling to breathe. Nothing like that. And so. Um, I'm trying to make the short story, but they basically reinflate your lungs. So I think if there's like a big gap, they puncture it in into the hole and suck the air out and basically reinflate. Um, so that worked well for a couple of months. And then I was playing dodgeball in, in gym, like an idiot of a senior <laughs> in high school, and threw dodgeballs at the freshman and uh, just whipped one. And I could just tell it, it went immediately. That was a little more painful. And the, the first one was more of a gradual leakage. This was like, boom. Boom. Uh, so I remember going to the gym teacher. I was like, I got to leave. He's like, why? I was like, I think I just collapsed my lung. He's like, yeah, you should go. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's time for you to go. And so, yeah, that time they, they operated, did surgery. It's now kind of seared to my chest, so it's not going anywhere, which is the good news. But um, makes for a good story. I got a bunch of little wounds look like I got stabbed three or four times. Which I, I was going to say, I'm sure that story evolved throughout college and things like that. Oh, oh it's sure. a bar fight. It's this. It's that. It's, yeah, you should see the other guy. Uh, oh. No, that's uh, wow. I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody that has uh, you know collapsed one of them, uh, let alone twice in the matter of a couple months. 
Yeah. yeah. So, I wouldn't recommend it, by the way. I can't imagine. So, yeah, listeners, take all the advice except that one. Don't try to do that. Uh, so you're going to sail around the world. What's the name of your boat? Yeah, this was a hard one. So I got to give you context. Great question. I, I always tell people, like, man, if you had a boat, like, naming your boat has to be one of the hardest things to do. So I, I probably spent more time thinking about this than any question I've been asked. So well done. <laughs> On that. And I came up with probably not a great answer. I'm not sure this is definitive, but I basically took the the initials for my whole family. So my wife, two kids, me, did a big scramble. Okay, what is this? Can I work out? So uh, I call it karma with a C. So um, okay. my kids' names, wife's initials, I got at least two initials from all of our names. So uh, karma felt like that, the right move. That's great. I love it. I love it. And so if you could hang out, you know, you, you have kids. So I'm sure these have been on the, the TV at times, cartoons. If you could hang out with a cartoon character, who would you choose and why? Yeah, another great one. I'm a big cartoon, old school cartoon guy. So um, I went Fred Flintstone for a few reasons. Um, you know, simpler times, you know, you kind of you work hard, you play hard, all is good. There's not a lot of distractions in the world of technology and everything else. Uh, blue collar guy, which I can appreciate. I identify well with that as my upbringing. And then basically after work, he just liked to have a good time with his buddies. Uh, so, yeah. you know, me and Barney Rubble hanging out wouldn't be the worst. <laughs> so I went for that one stuff. I love it. I love it. And so, and then finally on this question, what reality TV show would you be on? Yeah, another, another, I'm not a big reality TV guy, but, um, two can, Robin Big, which was one of my all time favorites on Good Team Now with Rob Deerdeck, just, Yep. Again, you can see this theme. Like, I'm a simple guy. I just want to hang out and, like, do fun stuff with, with – Laugh with and um, – That or then Jackass was a close second, not because I want to do any of the stuff I did, but just being there to see those idiots do all that would be entertaining. So those uh, would be – It'd hang out. If it was up to my wife, I'd be on some real housewife show. So I, I can <laughs> – Well, I appreciate it, Jake. And so to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Yeah, I mean, none of this will be surprising given some of the topics. I mean, the, the first one is just work your butt off. I mean, I, I can't, I literally can't stress that enough. I think if you just, if you work hard and you work with a purpose, um, which is important, don't just show up and do a bunch of stuff that's not productive. But um, good things will always happen. People notice it. Um, they, they notice the people that stand out, that come in early, that leave late. All those things, trust me, they, they matter. Uh, it's not just for show. It'll help you be better. And so I, if I had to say, like, one thing that, single-handedly for me in my career, that would be it, hands down. Um, be a good person is super generic, but, uh, again, something that I think is immensely um, helpful and underrated. You, you've got this culture now where I think people are trying to look out for themselves and what's best for me. And um, I've always tried to take the approach of, like, I want to be respectful to everyone. I want to be a good person to everyone. I, I want to try to help people internally because, ultimately, if I help them, they'll probably help me. Again, super naive stance, but I think that's something that's so underrated um, right now. And frankly, as you look at you know where we are in the world, that's probably everybody could do a little bit better if we're all just a little bit better uh, people to everybody uh, around us. And then you know always be learning. You know, I think the, the ABC always be closing sounds a lot cooler, and I would do that too. But I think always be learning to me is. Um, something I try to do, and, and I wish I would have done this. Podcasts are a great example, right? Like I, I didn't figure out podcasts until a couple of years ago, and, and so rather than listening to worthless sports talk radio, um, you know, which doesn't really help me, it just makes me angry about what they're talking about. I can spend, you know, for me, it's a half hour commute every way. That's an hour at least during the day that I'm learning something. Um, and so, work hard, be a good person, always learn. Good things will happen.
Awesome. Great. Three pieces of advice to end it here, but also throughout the podcast. Great advice, Jake. Thank you so much. You've certainly had a great career. Certainly a pleasure talking to you, and I really appreciate your time and expertise. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and I love what you're doing. Huge shout-out to you, Travis. I respect what you're doing, and I think it's awesome, so keep up the good work. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thanks for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.